Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Jewanced. We're two Jewish guys. We grew up in America. We live in Israel. And we're looking to challenge popular conceptions, think critically, examine independently, and most of all, seek nuance. Each episode, we'll host a different guest. Together, we'll take a deep dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, technology, food, the arts, business, you name it. A lot of it will deal with the Jewish world in Israel, but not all. Our goal? To create a platform where people share their stories, insights, and visions. No talking points, no script, no agenda. Just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us. Join us as we explore, think, debate, and discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen. Juanced. You know, like like nuanced, but with a J? Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Greetings out there in podcast land, everybody. This is Ben and Dan coming at you with another live episode of Juanced. Special live episode. Very special live episode. <laughs> Dan, how you doing, man? I am doing amazing. I say that every week, but I truly mean it this week. He really, really, really means it this week. He's absolutely amazing. And the reason that Dan is amazing is that Dan got back, I think he got back on Wednesday. From Thursday morning. Thursday morning after a lengthy delay in Ethiopia, which is another story for another time, if you ask Dan, uh, from his first ever trip to the UAE. Dan has been, uh, I should say this... Dan is like a little boy who's come back after a very long trip to a candy store. It's true. He's, he it's he true. cannot stop talking about his experiences to me, to his wife, to his kids, to his Facebook friends, to his work colleagues. Everybody and, any, and everybody uh, is just hearing all about Dan's amazing time in the UAE, and he's been That's wearing this, this hat and this rocking shirt, it. rocking it uh, ever since he's been back. And I think if if our guests chime in, uh, they'll, they'll say that he was wearing those things as well when he was in the UAE. Dan. What's going on? You've been back. How's I'm back. <laughs> You're back. How was your trip? I had an amazing trip. Um, I really did. Um, the place is the place is amazing. But more than that, I got to meet some incredible people. I got to uh, meet Emiratis um, and spend time with them, including and especially um, the four guests that we will introduce shortly. Um, and I got to know the people. I got to know the culture. I got to know a little bit uh, to see the world from their worldview. And uh, I was blown away um, in the most positive way possible. And um, this episode, um, you know, Meet the Emiratis, as we called it, which we have been trying to get off the ground for a while, I'm glad that actually we're doing it after my trip and not before. Me too. And um, we'll talk about that shortly. And, and I have to say, if you've joined us in the podcast, like me, we've survived the past week of our lives all around the world. We've survived the U.S. elections. They happened. Uh, and and we're all still here. And, uh, you know, let's just give ourselves a pat on the back. It's it's November 10th, and we've survived until November 10th <laughs> this year. So congratulations to us yes. all. Uh, we're, we're doing all right. So uh, before we begin, we have a couple of messages for you. Um, why don't, uh, Dan, why don't you... Uh, I will. Yeah. There, there's a saying in the Mishnah, in Pirkei Avot, the uh, ethics of our fathers, one of our holy books, it says, Ladun kol adam You should judge your fellow man, your fellow person, um, justly, righteously, favorably. Um, give people the benefit of the doubt. So the United States, and with it, uh, much of the rest of the world just experienced a tumultuous week, maybe the culmination of a very divisive election period. 
may be the culmination of a very divisive four-year presidency, regardless of which side of that spectrum you support. And regardless of whether you're an American or not, American politics affect us all. Uh, I personally made the mistake of trying to engage people uh, that I know, that I don't know, online in good faith conversation, only to be attacked, to have my words twisted by both sides. Uh, progressives think I'm a racist, misogynist, Trump-supporting fascist. Conservatives attack me for being a progressive, socialist, baby-killing Iran and Palestinian terror supporter. The list goes on and on. Mind you, I wasn't even supporting any of those sides. Um, I rarely, rarely voice my true views in public. I was trying to point out that the positions that they were representing of the other side were caricaturized. They were, they were talking in, in such hyper, hyperbole uh, language, mischaracterizing the other side that I was just trying to point out. No, that's not what Democrats think. No, that's not what Republicans actually think. Um, I am sorry for trying to do that. Our main goal when we launched this podcast, besides overcoming the boredom of uh, the COVID uh, close downs, was to establish a no boredom, a, <laughs> no boredom at all. Was to establish uh, what we feel is a sorely needed platform for nuance, uh, especially in the Israel and Jewish sphere. Hence the name to be able to discuss, to reach better understandings of reality and of each other. One should be able to appreciate, for example what the Trump administration did for Israel and the Jewish people without liking his personality or other domestic aspects of the presidency. One can prefer certain aspects of Joe Biden or, or the Democratic Party without being a supporter um, of, let's say, the anti-Semitic or anti-Zionist elements within the Democratic Party. People, whether they vote or not, they only have two candidates or two parties to choose from. We're humans. We're individuals. We are complex by our nature. We cannot, we should not be able uh, to be packaged into these neat little boxes that that completely identifies. By the way, some people like to be in those little boxes where you're totally in line with the Democrats or the Republicans or this party or that party if you're in Israel or whatever country you're in. But we all have our unique situations. We all have our unique upbringings, our worldviews. And each candidate, each party has a long list of positions and priorities on various topics, even among us Jews. For some Jews, social justice, let's say, and domestic issues are what's important for them as Jews. For others, it's Israel and defending Israel and promoting issues that are important to Israel, and those are the most important parts of being Jewish. For some, it's fighting the anti-Semitism from the left. For others, it's the anti-Semitism from the right. People, we have plenty of challenges as the Jewish people. We don't need to be fighting amongst ourselves over which challenges to take on. So I'd just like to add to that, uh, you know, a major influencing factor, and this is going to be so ironic because many of you are actually watching this on social media, a major influencing factor that we believe is integral towards creating, sustaining the prevailing social and cultural dynamic experience currently in the West and around the world is the presence of social media, which has really become over the past decade the main method of communication between, between us, uh, either as groups or individuals, as well as our primary source for news and information. So whereas language kind of shapes the way that we think, our patterns and our psychology and, you know, by default, social media platforms uh, either limit the length of our communications or encourage short or efficient text or photos or videos instead of text, uh, the prolific usage of it has had the effect, the undesired effect, I believe, of limiting nuance in the public discourse. So whereas our human biology makes us prefer those people with similar mindsets, interests and in politics to ourselves, this has really created and sustained great, vast echo chambers of people who share such similarities. And since nuance is discouraged by the form of these platforms, 
and anonymity is possible through the distance of the Internet. People have given themselves the liberty to disagree with one another with increased levels of verbal violence, which is which is really not something that we'd like to encourage. So um, rather than listening to one another uh, and working towards finding commonalities and compromise. So again, uh, these echo chambers have caused us to see people that are different from us as the other. They encourage tribalism and make people much more susceptible to populism and shallow discourse from leaders, no matter which side of the aisle that you are on. Uh, and if you disagree, I'll you know give you a, a quick thought experiment. Can you imagine how we might perceive the world today had social media never been invented? Do you remember what your life was like before you had social media accounts? This is not a crusade against social media. This isn't a crusade at all. This is just to encourage people to reach out to people that they perceive as different from them. The world has enough issues these days. We need to remember that we all have and share a common humanity. That's what brought us together to to begin with when we first uh, when we first went down the line of, uh, of, of 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 reaching out through social media, and we should be encouraged to to find the unity that we so deeply desire in our societies these days to uh, to reach out and really uh, overcome the challenges that we as humanity have, and they are great. So, so we uh, we opened with the the line from the Mishnah uh, to judge uh, every person. Um, to give them the benefit of the doubt. Politics um, used to be, or ideally, let's say, should be should revolve around the concept that we, we all truly want what is best for our societies, okay? And we argue about the best way to do that. Inherent in such an understanding is that our political rivals are not evil, they're not disgusting, they're not subhuman, they're not monsters, okay? They think they're doing what is best for society, and they reach their conclusions, and they made their choices we should hope in in logical ways, even if we disagree with the ways they reached it or their conclusions. So let none of us think that we alone have a monopoly on truth and wisdom and that only we uh, know what is the proper course. Let's be more humble in our interactions with others. Let us engage people of differing political opinions with an openness to listen and not just talk. I think on many matters, we'll find that we have much more in common than what separates us. And even if we don't, I think we'll find that our fellow citizens and humans reach their political conclusions through reason, through logic, and through good intentions. So we'll end that kind of opening message as the U.S., where many of our listeners are based, and the world just went through kind of this tumultuous period. And um, So with that, we welcome you to this special live <laughs> episode of Jew Wants to Meet the Emiratis. I promise it'll be more fun going, going here on out. Uh, so just a quick note, this special episode is being sponsored by the Jewish Agency Partnership Together for the Western Galilee, bringing together 16 Jewish communities in the U.S., Europe, and Israel. And real quick, go through those communities. We've got Fort Worth, Texas, Austin, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, Budapest, Hungary, Youngstown, Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, and Toledo, Ohio, in the state of Nebraska, Omaha. In New York, we have the city of Buffalo. In Kentucky, Louisville, Iowa with Des Moines. Indiana has the Jewish federations of Northwest Indiana, South Bend, Fort Wayne, and Indianapolis. In Illinois, Peoria, and Springfield, partnered with the communities in, uh, in Israel of Akko and Matei Asheu. Awesome. And it is also co-sponsored by the Jewish Federation of St. Joe Valley. That's South Bend. That's where I'm originally from. Uh, and that is the federation that kicked this kind of whole event off, and by the UAE Israel Business Council, of which I am a part of, and which allowed me to meet uh, our guests today that we're going to introduce, um, who are members in one way or another of the council or of the forum that came out of the council. And as I said uh, at the beginning, and I really mean it, uh, Dubai, and, and I'm sure the rest of the UAE, but I couldn't really leave Dubai, 
is is truly a magnificent place, but it's the people. It's the people, especially these four people, but it's the people that made the biggest impression on me. Uh, truly uh, nice, welcoming, thoughtful, and humble uh, people. And I can't wait to get back, and it might be sooner than uh, than, than we think. But before we get into our episode... So check it out. Juwan so far has enjoyed tremendous success. We have listeners literally all over the world in every continent except Antarctica. Uh, real quickly... The U.S. and Israel are our biggest markets, and strangely enough, India right now is it's our growing. third largest market. So is the UAE. And, of course, the <laughs> UAE as well. So as we continue to grow in leaps and bounds... As is our background, if anybody noticed, it just keeps growing really, by leaps and bounds. Really big. Uh, we want to make sure that we can continue to produce top-notch content for you. So as we are a listener-supported podcast, consider helping us continue to expand by becoming a supporter today. You can make a one-time donation or a small monthly contribution and become a sponsor and, or become a sponsor and advertise your business or organization on our platform. For more information, check out our newly revamped website at www.juanced.com. And before we start, lastly, 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 we would like to invite Bracha Tzuriel, the Consortium Area Director of Ma- from Malay Adumim of the uh, Jewish Agency Partnership, uh, who was instrumental behind putting this whole event together, to offer a few words. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Dan. Thank you uh, for enabling us to be a part of this this evening. It's very exciting to see everybody on on the line and to see, uh, for us, a lot of new faces. Um, The partnership, partnership together, this specific partnership, one of the 46 partnerships of the Jewish Agency Program of Partnership Together, and we are, and I was very impressed by uh, your listing of all the communities. We are 16 American communities, uh, two communities in Israel and Budapest, Hungary, who all make up this partnership together. And a uh, particular note to, uh, to our friends in South Bend, who uh, brought us to be the uh, co-sponsors of this evening's uh, event. The partnership is a platform of connections. And uh, what that's what we do. We connect people. We can make connections through all different uh, areas of content, of education, medical, academic, um, arts, music, any connecting language of connecting people from these American communities to Budapest, to uh, to Israel, to strengthen all of our identities and our feelings and our uh will and motivation to be involved and active in our own communities. So we really are very excited being coming from Israel, very excited with this new relationship with the UAE and very excited to meet the people who are online tonight. So thank you on behalf of the partnership. Thank you to all of us, our chair, our Israeli chairs here with us. I see Efrat and our director, Sharon, and uh, and some of our staff, and we thank also. I want to thank uh, Gil and the other staff for all the the work they did in putting together tonight's uh, broadcast. So thank you guys. All right, thank you, Bracha. So without further ado, we would like to introduce our four guests, or more importantly, to have them introduce themselves. So we have with us today uh, the wonderful May Elvadi, Mr. Thani El Shirawi, Nora Elawadi, and Ahmed El Mansouri. Um, guys, why don't we start uh, Start with May? Just give us a brief ID card of yourselves. Who are you? Uh, what do you do? Family? Where do you live? Um, and uh, where you went to school, uh, etc. So, so introduce yourself to our wonderful audience today. 
בעברית או אנגלית? מיי, you will find out, has been learning Hebrew for quite some time. So, uh, my name is May Elbadi. I'm from Abu Dhabi. And um, I'm a shareholder in my family group of companies. I'm also involved personally in promoting cultural and culinary diplomacy. I'm currently writing a book about Emirati food for the kosher home. Um, it's not just a cookbook. It's, um, it will also have an introduction on Kashrut. It'll talk about the Jewish community of the Emirates and the Emirati history and traditions. I studied media and then... Uh, I took an executive master's in uh, business administration, but my real passion is uh, cultural diplomacy and uh, promoting my country. Thank you. Thani, please introduce yourself to us. Uh, thank you. Uh, Thani the Mensch. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. I am Thani Al-Shirawi. I'm from Dubai. I studied business administration and I've been working in a family business. I'm the deputy managing director of the business. We, have, we are diversified into different businesses uh, from construction to uh, in industries. And uh, I'm very much passionate about this normalization. And uh, every day I pinch myself to make sure that I'm not dreaming. because I didn't expect that this will happen in my lifetime, and I'm very happy that I was wrong, and I'm experiencing it. Thank you very much. Nora, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Nora Al-Awadi. My voice is a bit funny. I'm sick. Anyways, um, I'm from Dubai. I'm 30. I'm single. <laughs> um, I studied networking and security, but... I work as a uh, project manager in risk management in the banking sector. However, that is not my passion whatsoever. I am a pro-peace person. Um, I'm all about that. And I'm trying to um, share, share my, my country's vision with the rest of the world um, uh, by spreading peace and love and endorsing normalization all over the world. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Nora is behind the iconic photo that has since gone viral of the two women standing in front of the Burj al-Khalifa with the flags of the UAE and Israel. Uh, so she is obviously holding the uh, Emirati flag. Uh, thank you. And uh, Ahmed, please uh, tell us a few words about yourself. Assalamu alaikum. Shalom, everyone. My name is Ahmed Al-Mansouri. I am a uh, forensic scientist I, uh, from Abu Dhabi police. And uh, I'm single. I uh, went to school in uh, Ohio State. So for those from Ohio, go Bucks. <laughs> and, okay, we uh, have to kick you off the show now. I'm sorry. <laughs> This is Notre Dame country, man. <laughs> and uh, I uh, also lived in Richmond, Virginia, where I finished my degree. I, when, the, when they first started this uh, normalization, my first intent was this. Meet Jewish people. Show them who Emiratis are and just let them see. Like we're just normal people who love people. That's it. And I don't, it's just been very, very surreal. Just like Fanny said, it's unreal. Like uh, the experiences, the time I spent with Dan in UAE, see, spending Shabbat with him, all of it was, I cannot say how amazing it was. You're going to make me cry, dude. We can't do that on the show. <laughs> no, you, can't, you can't cry in the show. I can't cry. I can't cry in the show. You could. You could. I just 
Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna kick off uh, with a series of questions, and throughout there's gonna be audience participation, and at the end we'll uh, uh, hopefully have some time for Q and A. So, um, since many of our listeners probably are not familiar with the history of the UAE, and since uh, May, since you took me to the Etihad Museum, and you're a big uh, fan of Emirati history, please tell us in just a couple of minutes, kind of the the story of the UAE. Um, how old is it? How did it come together? If we can do that in two or three minutes, and and then if if uh, others uh, want to add, you're welcome to. Dan, we are um, almost 50 years old since the union in 1971, and uh, we were united by a great leader and a father to all of us, Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Al Nahyan. That guy. And, uh, yes, his focus was to develop a state of the state-of-the-art infrastructure, human development, education, healthcare, among a lot um, of other focuses. And he wanted to create and have a livable community from all over the world. And today we have around just over 200 nationalities from all over the world living in the UAE. And, uh, you know, they come from different backgrounds, different cultures and religion. Basically, we are seven states united by a friendship treaty in 1971, 2nd of December. I also want to add something um, that, you know, doing business or coming to the UAE, it, it's, not just, it's not just about, you know, business, doing business. Like before that, for us, having a relationship, uh, understanding the Emirati culture and um, understanding our society and meeting the people, and building, you know, that friendship, that trust, you know, these are exciting times for us. And uh, I think, you know, we should get to know each other. Thank you. Thank you. What, what did, what, um, if you or Thani or Ahmed, Nora, what was life like, um, you know, now uh, Dubai is like really uh, um, the, the most futuristic kind of big shining city. Uh, I, I think Dude, I've you came seen. back and you were like, it's like 20 years in the future. It's 20 years anything in the future. Else you've no, ever seen. no kidding. And again, I was only in Dubai. I didn't have the chance to get out of Dubai due to COVID. But, um, um, you know, for, who wants to kind of answer the question of what was it like even 20 years ago? And certainly 50 years ago when, when the UAE was, uh, was founded, just give us a glimpse into what we're talking about. And, you know, we always talk about the amazing leap in Israel um, from what it used to be, you know, a few decades ago, and certainly the founding of the country in 48, we've all seen the pictures and what Israel is today. So if we imagine what the UAE is now and what it's been able to accomplish in a shorter period of time, it's it's mind-boggling. I don't know. Thani, do you want to jump on this one? Uh, thank you, Dan. Uh, I mean, to be, uh, to be honest, I think we touched upon this when uh, you were here. Uh, I'm only 45. So I was born. Uh, I was born in uh, 1975. So my memory of the 70s is not so much. But what I can tell you for sure, Dubai and Abu Dhabi and all of the and Sharjah to uh, larger uh, and and Sharjah uh, went through a tr- uh, two transformations, if I would say. Uh, I remember three different cities when the the uh, Dubai or the Abu Dhabi that I grew up in, and uh, my and then the and then the Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Sharjah during the transformation and now, you will not recognize the city at all. Where you stayed, Dan, uh, 
in the 80s. We used to go there for camping too, and we to go there to see the stars. That was the desert for us. And you remember how busy that place uh, that place uh, was when you were there. The marina that came uh, that uh, that uh, that came very close to your hotel where you were staying that was non-existent. We actually dug that. Uh, unfortunately, you did not get the chance to go and see the city of Abu Dhabi, the capital, where. Abu Dhabi by itself, if you see the buildings there, like the Dar building and the Louvre and uh, the Qasr al-Imarat Emirates Palace and, of course, the other buildings that they have and uh, the uh, transformation of the Corniche and the transformation of the, other, uh, of the other areas. If you were here 20 years ago, you will not recognize that city at, at, uh, at all. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> and for us growing, of course, we are proud of our country. We're proud of the transformation, and we keep this very close to our uh, heart. I hope I answered your question. Uh, if I missed anything, I'll be more than happy. And if my and if I missed anything, my colleagues are uh, yeah, can jump in and add. Nora Ahmed, would you like uh, to add anything? I like how he called us his colleagues. Dude, we're family. So, um, but, I, yeah, and I'm the oldest. And I'm the oldest. No, we're okay. So, um, I'm, I don't remember anything. But I know that uh, since my dad, my dad is a photographer, he's been taking pictures of the UAE, like a before and after picture. Um, uh, from starting from the from the um, uh, late seventies, I'm assuming, um, uh, going into the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands, I've seen the transformation. And um, uh, the the, but I don't know if if you guys, uh, Dan, have you been to Jumeirah Road? I think um, so. Yeah, um, I'm uh, saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that place was legit, just a two way street. Nothing else, okay. And the end of the the end of the road was, or or the the end of that area was the the Jumeirah Beach Hotel. That was it. But you've seen it, and if you just Google search Jumeirah Road, you're going to see the the buildings. You're going to see Burj Al Arab. You're going to see um, uh, the beaches, the hotels, the houses. Like the this transformation is unreal. It's insane, and it's top-notch great. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. If I may add something. Please. I think uh, what uh, my uh, family missed out on (laughs) is uh, the transformation of people. Like the, the people, my grandparents just learning how to survive, wanting to survive. They didn't want much. It was a simple life. It was very hard, very rough environment, very little resources before the oil. And after that, people started wanting to catch up with the modern world, with education and hospitals and healthcare and everything. And now I think we are at a point where we want to start where people finished. That's why I think we had uh, an advantage of just bringing the best experts and everything in the several in the past decade or so. And building on that, I think that's where the Emiratis are at now. 
Thank you. I, Thank you. So can I, I want to add something? Please. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the UAE um, was a land of desert inhabited by proud Bedouins, um, tribes and fishing villages and date farms. Um, Abu Dhabi consisted of several hundred uh, palms, palm huts. And, um, and Dubai was always a trading hub. And it was, you know, um, providing a safe haven before the Straits of Hormuz and beyond. And um, I also want to say that the, um, the Bedouin tribes were the principal building blocks of the UAE society. Bedouin means a desert dweller. Um, and, you know, they lived, you know, they've been moving between Al Ain, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and um, that's it. It's, it's uh, incredible to, to see, you know, 50 years ago, Bedouins, uh, and, and now, I mean, truly an advanced society. It's, it's like, it, it's I, mind boggling. I, I can't, like, not make the comparison that when we have tourists that are visiting us here in Israel, people always take them to Tel Aviv in front of the beach and they say, you know, this is. You know, this is a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, if you were standing here, there would have been nothing but sand in this, mm. in this place, like a sand dune. And, and, and we always looked at that like, oh my God, that's like a hundred years. Like, that's nothing. Like, mm. like a hundred years ago. You guys are talking about like 50 years ago, 40 yeah. years ago, 30 years ago yeah. in certain places. And then the, 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 the speed of that kind of a transfer, transformation and building is truly, is truly mind, mind blowing. Um, which uh, kind of takes me. I would like to add, if you don't mind, I would yeah, yeah, like please. to add something. I just thought of it, which is very interesting. When uh, my sister May said that Dubai was a was a trading hub, before Dubai was a trading hub, Sharjah was, and Sharjah, and why I am why I wanted to pause here. I would say Israel indirectly affected Dubai those, those days. Uh-huh. Now, of course, you'll tell me how. Oh, uh, Sharjah <laughs> overnight. Overnight, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Very good question. Uh, Sharjah <laughs> overnight became a Nasser su- supporter. The British who were, uh, who were, uh, they were controlling the trading routes during those days or securing the trading routes did not like Sharjah being uh, an, a Nasserite state. So Dubai at that time used that as an opportunity and went to the British and they said, we are not supporting anybody. We are supporting a trading hub. And the British moved from Sharjah to Dubai. Hmm. Interesting. So, Lucky for Dubai. So in, 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 indirectly, indirectly uh, Israel did affect, uh, did help us to take that the trading hub from Sharjah. So thank you. It's a bit late, <laughs> but thank welcome. you. <laughs> and for those of you who have not yet gotten to know Thani, he is a huge history buff. And uh, I think we're, yep. we're up till the late hours of the mm-hmm. night uh, talking about history and, uh, and, and political theory and all sorts of interesting things. So I, I guess you. like I kind of just like it's a good segue to like, okay, that was the transformation that brings us up to now. Here we are. You guys are on with us. It's like, I don't know what time it is. If it's 830 here, it's, 10, it's 1030. Wow. We're talking about history waiting to late into the night with you guys. That's what we do. Uh, what do you guys like? What, what does an average day look like in your life? Uh, Ahmed? Can you repeat that question, please? What does an average day look like in your life? A lot of our guests have never been to the UAE. They've never been to the Arab world. Um, so, so kind of, you know, what is the average life in the day of Ahmed al-Mansouri? Ahmed al-Mansouri is your average uh, nine-to-five kind of guy, I guess. Blue-collar background. 
policemen. By the way, I'm not speaking for the police here. I'm speaking for myself. So right. I don't get Important trouble. to clarify. <laughs> so he doesn't get and, in trouble. <laughs> uh, and yeah, just like, uh, how do you say it? Here, the lifestyle is very much cosmopolitan, you know, in Abu Dhabi and uh, Dubai in general and many other cities here. But we still stick to our roots. We like to go on our little camping trips. We like our farms. We like our camels, <laughs> as you saw. <laughs> we like our food. It's more family-oriented than many other cultures, I would say. Like, uh, I noticed that you guys have the same thing on Shabbat, you know? It's like weekend, Fridays for us. That's it, family time. Not all of us, but most, I would say. I am a single man now, but still have to go to my parents now. <laughs> so if there are so any I, ladies out there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I said, it's just... Uh, very cosmopolitan most of the time beach entertainment this kind of stuff mostly and uh, as you saw there's many things to do here it's endless the options the entertainment the museums the, it's just endless you can go into one part of dubai and be with indians you can go in one part of abu dhabi and be with uh, egyptians you can, it's endless it's unreal it's like a big new york <laughs> Awesome. Nora, what, what does a day look like in your life? Well, um, again, nine to five. Um, but uh, I'm lucky to still have the option to work from home. So it's perfect. Uh, thank you, COVID. Um, <laughs> for me, um, uh, I'm, I'm insane about coffee. I love coffee. So as much as I can, I try to taste and and try new coffees and new coffee beans um uh, go to new cafes um i don't know i i like to cruise around because like even wh- while i'm in my car blasting up the uh, that music that i like like you see new stuff like i'm from the uae and i see new stuff every time i go out i see new things something new is being built something um uh, new is being planned you know um uh, a different style of, I don't know, abaya. This is what we call the, the traditional attire for the ladies. That's a abaya. And this is a shayla. So I see new colors. I see, uh, I don't know, new cars. So uh, for me, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's always something new, you know? Um, uh, yeah. So like, in in terms of like culture and in terms of, of, of sports and music, it's very similar to, I would say, like any, Anywhere, anywhere else these days. Absol- something- Absolutely. I mean, I don't, sorry to my Arab friends, I don't listen to a lot of Arabic music. I'm more into rap, R&B, hip hop kind of thing. Israeli yes. music? Uh, not yet. I, I need the hookup. We'll work on it. Hookup. We'll work on it. I got you. I got you. I Is- need the hookup and I need, I, I need to drop a single. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? No, is that is that typical? Like people are are I guess I know in Israel too. Like Western music has a major influence here as well. But like a lot of people, they listen to their Hebrew music or they listen to their traditional more Israeli music. Um, uh, is it is it like most people are listening to a mix of local things and and international things? Yes, yes. Ed, we have we have singers that we always listen to. Um, uh, we have Mehad Hamad. Um, uh, Rashid Al Majid, Muhammad Abdu, uh, Abdul Majid, Ayad Al Manhali. So, uh, th- those, those, um, uh, Arab singers that we always like 
legit go back to and listen to mm-hmm. as um as um in the UAE. But um I I still I still hella love me some Nicki Minaj, some G E D. Love me some Tupac, some Biggie. I'm I'm about that life. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And like and th- like Thani, in terms of sports Oh Th- Thani's my kind of guy because he's into American football. <laughs> Thani's muted. He's muted. And he's saying bad things I about think, the Dallas Cowboys. I think both of us then had a bad weekend. We had a very bad weekend. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We both had a bad weekend. Chicago lost. Dallas lost. Uh, we are playing with our third quarterback. Uh, when it comes to sports, uh, yes, I love American football. And I think I've told Dan, I think it's God's gift to humanity. It really uh, is. I, it really is. I studied oh. in America. My first year, I was in Fort, in Fort Worth. So when you said that uh, we have people from Fort, from Fort Worth, I got excited. Uh, then I moved to Boston. But, I, but my love of the Cowboys stayed with me till today. Uh, but going to sports, I would say here in the UAE, uh, we follow the local league, but we also follow when it comes to soccer or football, not not the American football. We follow the British league and, of course, the Spanish. Both Barcelona and Real and Real Madrid are very big, but of course, the uh, English league is also very very big, and it became bigger when uh, Sheikh Mansour. Uh, bought Manchester City it even became bigger in the United Arab Emirates I mean you will see if you walk into a mall you will see more people wearing the jerseys of the British uh, of, of the English league than of the local of the local leagues I don't know if Dan noticed uh, Dan noticed that I did. so when it comes to sport yes we are local but we are also very international and me as I said I am one of these buffs that wakes up at the early times of the morning like Today, I woke up to see the Jets and the uh, Patriots. It was a boring game, but anyways, <laughs> I saw, <laughs> at least I saw uh, to, I mean, the, the second half. And, and like, uh, you know, we here in Israel, go to, we go to the gym, we work out. Like, what's kind of maybe the, the fitness and exercise culture? I noticed um, at least Dubai is kind of a pretty fit city, um, if any of you want to take that question on. You need to, you need uh, to be. Here, you have to be fit, Dan. The amount of restaurants here is insane. You have to be fit. And by the way, CrossFit is big here. Um, a lot of, a lot of people do CrossFit and uh, you, you're going to see like a whole lot of uh, CrossFit gyms around. Um, so it's major if you want to stay in shape and eat whatever you want. You, you have to stay in shape. If I may uh, make a comment about CrossFit, give me a <laughs> my, class fav- my favorite CrossFit. topic. <laughs> Man, I am. He made me realize how out of shape I am. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> but uh, also, cycling is becoming very big here. There's uh, beautiful places to cycle in UAE, especially in Hatta in Dubai, and also in Abu Dhabi. You can cycle in. Uh, what is it called? The Grand Prix? Uh, Grand Fondo. Yes, 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 Marina Autodrome. And it's amazing. It's, you're in the best racing track in the world and you get to cycle in it. And uh, there's many cyclists in UAE now. Thank yeah, God they're lot, not on uh, the road yet like the US. A lot, 
all, designated also places. Also, to add, if you go to the Grand Prix, don't be surprised if you see His Highness MBZ cycling next to you. Oh, yes. Oh, he's a cyclist. Uh, our uh, yes, our. Uh, I mean, one thing. I uh, uh, the uh, and I think my family will agree with me. Uh, the royal family here, they're very humble. They're very approachable. Uh, you might bump into them uh, in the shopping centers. You might get a red light, and then you see on your right, oh, it is MBR or MBZ or ABZ. Okay, I mean, just for, for the wait, people wait, wait. that so, don't know these ab- the abbreviations. Okay. Uh, MBZ is, is the Sheikh, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, Mohammed bin Zayed. ABZ is uh, Abdullah bin Zayed, the uh, foreign uh, minister. And uh, and I think everybody will remember him signing next to uh, next to Trump and Bibi Netanyahu, and Mohammed bin Rashid is the ruler of Dubai. Uh, I mean, to be honest, at the moment these three are the biggest three figures, and of course Sheikh Khalifa, uh, Sheikh Khalifa, the president. But uh, don't be surprised if you see them in a restaurant, sitting there having a sandwich. Without uh, without a lot of security, maybe two or three, and that's it. Are they? Are they? I know this is like a sidebar from what we're talking about at the moment. But is are they approachable? Like if you if you were to see yes. them in the restaurant, yes. you can hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might come to you. So approachable, unbelievable. Yeah, it's not exactly what we have here. It's not, I, I don't, yeah. No, if you you can't get within like. Within like a hundred feet of BB before some security guy comes up to you and like, and I know, and I know personally some of his security guys. I wouldn't want to mess with them. No. <laughs> Wait. Uh, so does MBZ's bodyguards also ride bicycles next to him if he's biking? <laughs> How does that work? Uh, two. You will not see an. You will not see an army. Maybe one or two. Really? That's it. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, so uh, Nora, you talked about restaurants, and maybe we'll use this as a jump to the next question. May, you're a culinary expert. Can you tell us, uh, and you took me on a tour, and, and I'm very appreciative of it, what is Emirati cuisine? Um, what does a classic meal look like? What are some of the favorite foods? And then beyond that, like what else, because uh, there's a lot of cultural influences from all over the world. So what else are people eating around the UAE? Before I talk about that, I just want to mention that we have all types of sports in the UAE including an indoor ski, a skiing facility. And also the uh, 2019 Special Olympics World Summer Games was held in Abu Dhabi. And uh, we are having an Israeli team participating in this big event. Wow, fantastic. So Ski slope is Marathi on my bucket cuisine? trip. Yes, jo- let's get into Marathi cuisine. What is it? How would you describe well, it? What are some know, of the highlight changed. dishes? Sure. Um, it changed over time, and, and many people could be, you know, forgiven for, well, not so forgiven, but confusing Levantine food, such as hummus, tabbouleh, falafel, as a national dish, due to their popularity here, but they are not. Um, traditional food, they were based um, around grains, dairy, some meat, including chicken, fowl, goats, and um Camel meat, which is uh, not kosher, but uh, was also eaten, and it was uh, reserved for special occasions. And you know, considering the UAE has a rich maritime history, you know, it, it should come as no surprise that the sea was also a main food source. The fish like hamur and uh, shari has uh, became regular ingredients in Emirati cooking for years. And they are, and I have and they are one, delicious. One, one interesting fact. So. We didn't use spices, 
before before the, the you know all the trading we we flavored the food with local flora like raf which is a tree um a tree in in um in the UAE it's an uh, indigenous flowering tree and uh, we used to see i mean our ancestors used to season the dishes with um but then you know international trade routes were established and then spices rice and and other cooking um staples um came into the country and you know as i mentioned before that you know the oe they have you know we have over 200 nationalities yeah. and um having that cosmopolitan mix brings this culture and you know tradition and and all of that you know we clearly see it in in food and um yeah and now almost any type of food is available soon uh, we will have israeli cuisine well we'll we'll make um, sure to get uh, some of our best israeli chefs out there soon i'm sure they <laughs> he's he's joking i'm sure they're probably already, they're, they're already planning there. on it they're, they're already there they're, they're trying they're already there. anyone else want to add uh, what the, what's their favorite emirati dish or what's kind of their uh, favorite food oh my They're favorite Nora, favorite food Nora, is please go ahead ladies first <laughs> i love haris so much so it's basically grains um uh, some sort of um grain called haris and um just meat so that's blended into this and it's well, yummy it's so good It's really good. Is it is it like a kuba or or like um No, no. No. No, no. Um it sort of looks Okay, it looks like baba ghanouj but it's not. Okay. It looks like it but it's not. Um and um the meat used is basically beef. Um uh, and no spices are added, just probably a little bit of salt. Mm-hmm. That's it. because the meat overpowers the 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 whole grain dish and at the end we add a bit of arabic oil or ghee so wow clarified you know, butter yeah my god i'm drooling <laughs> guys so my dude i i should i just had like i had no dinner i had like one slice of pizza over here now grab another one i might have to but, but, no pizza. pizza can't compete with of what you're talking can't. about and like pizza is my favorite food in the whole of world but that sounded can. amazing I, i actually i went with may and ahmed for fish at a traditional emirati restaurant uh, what was the the dish w- that you introduced me to with the fish on the rice what was it called machbous yeah delicious the very brown rice right very very uh delicate food delicate seasoning that's iraqi No, no? it's an Iraqi. I also went to an Iraqi restaurant. Uh, had a whole different. You're thinking Masgouf. Ah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, the uh, I was gonna say is like, uh, I'm very crazy for seafood here in UAE. Well, you're a fisherman yeah. originally. Yeah, it's a side hobby, and it was a part-time job also at one point. And uh, I'm a big fan of the seafood here because of how abundant it is, how easy it is to get it. Sometimes, even when we were kids, we would go catch some fish, take it home. Parents would be mad we spent all the day out, but <laughs> they'll still enjoy the food. And uh, yeah, there's so much seafood here. The the fish, the variety is amazing. I, we couldn't uh, have time, me and Dan, to go to the fish market in Dubai. Next time we do that. Awesome. And is there something that like you miss the most when when you travel abroad and you're thinking about like okay when I go back home the first thing I'm going to have is this like what what is it for you For me it's fish, fish. Okay <laughs> our 
Yeah, it's the ocean, the uh, our fish, uh, like the ocean, how it's cooked, how we spice it. I am uh, my. We grew up in. I grew up in the East Coast, and it was uh, our cuisine. Unlike maize cuisine, because maize is from a different part called Al Ain, which is more uh, Bedouin. We are more influenced by uh, trade, India and such, and the way we spice food is a little more exotic. I guess you can say not exotic, more festive. It's it's more aggressive, aggressive seasoning, which is which is there, like you taste it, and it's good. It's good when you say aggressive seasoning. That's you don't thing. even need to add salt. Yeah. It is that good. I'm, I'm picturing like when she says aggressive seasoning, I'm picturing like a, a really angry, like paprika. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Season the food. <laughs> uh, Ahmed, Ahmed, by the way, question. is from Khorfakar. To be honest, I have a question to my family oh, uh, that took Dan to the seafood. Did you guys offer him jashit or no? No, it's not kosher. They, <laughs> they learned the rules. Really? Why they, isn't yes. shark a kosher? Why isn't shark kosher? Uh, Ahmed May, do you guys want to take that one on? See if uh, you remember why. Because there are no scales. <laughs> I think I don't remember. That's right, because Nora. Of, yes. Yeah. Because they don't have a scale. Right. So why? I, I, I told them. I told them that uh, I will eat fish in in non-kosher restaurants, and the rules are that the fish has to have scales and fins, and a shark does not have uh, scales, and so Jamshid is uh, sadly. Not uh, not a kosher okay. fish, but I enjoyed it with. Uh, I enjoy it's okay. I very much enjoyed the meal. And uh, Dan, I want to add for our listeners that uh, soon we're gonna have most of our hotels are gonna offer uh, kosher food. That's right, and I can't wait to see your cookbook that's gonna introduce the Emirati kitchen to the kosher uh, restrictions and rules. Thank you. And make sure everyone buys a copy when it comes out, guys. Kosherati, right? That's what it's called? Yes. Amazing. Awesome. Um, changing gears here a little bit. I think a lot of people, I mean, we, we all come to come to our lives with our with our own set of circumstances. And what we've heard here is is that your circumstances are very similar to ours in, in many capacities. Um, something that I understood from Dan uh, when you came back was that in terms of like standard of living or, 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 or employment and things like this, or the cost of living in the UAE, it may be very different from what people here in Israel and, and definitely from, from what the United States are, uh, are, are used to. I think there's kind of an image in the West that everybody in the Emiratis are very, are very wealthy and others might assume that might assume otherwise that because it's an Arab country that maybe it's third world. I mean, there's people that have all kinds of, uh, opinions and things assumptions. like that. Assumptions. Um, maybe if you could describe, not necessarily for you and your own particular reality, but like just for average Emiratis, how do people live? What is considered middle class, wealthy? Uh, if you could just like describe an average Emirati family, their their income, their, their housing, uh, what kind of services and benefits are provided by the government to help people or to take care of people? Yeah, like basically what's the, the kind of... Um, like how do you get by? Yeah. Again, you don't have to answer for your own family. Just kind of give us, give our audience a general idea of the average Emirati, um, you know, life in that respect. I can speak uh, for my limited view, but again, I don't have kids, so maybe Thani would have a different view on how my life is. <laughs> <laughs> so, for me, I uh, think you can uh, say the uh, social uh, services here. Our most important ones would be uh, free healthcare. 
and uh, tax-free income. And uh, you get a, a very comfortable loan for a house and a free land. In some cases, if your income is limited, you get a free house, actually. Can I get that, too, if I move over there? You need to maybe you need to find an Emirati wife. Maybe uh, if I wear the, if I wear this shirt, can I can I get that? <laughs> if your wife lets you live, and uh, yeah, and uh, we're lucky here. To be honest with you, very very lucky. We have a kind of what you call a uh, social welfare system mm-hmm. from uh, birth to death, pretty much. To be honest with you, and. This is very, how do you say it, uh, unique to us because it's a small population. And uh, so we are lucky to have good uh, leaders who look at us as uh, their family. They don't look at us as uh, only people who are their governing as if like uh, what you imagine, uh, like the typical image of a monarchy. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that correctly. Mm-hmm. If I'm expressing myself correctly, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I could tell you, you know, if you ask the the average Israeli, uh, I think a household brings in what forty thousand dollars a year. Like that's kind of an average middle class Israeli life, or sure, plus or minus, a plus bit. or minus. Uh, you know, rent can cost you know five. Uh, Fifteen hundred dollars. I think. A month. I, I think it, if I could put it like in average terms, the average Israeli salary, if I remember correctly, per month it's calculated was something around the lines of ten thousand shekels a month, which is roughly equivalent. Ten thousand dirham a month. Yeah, which is which is roughly equivalent for American listeners to around let's say twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah, twenty five hundred dollars a month is is the average income for, per person. Um, you know, if you have a household of two people, you know, multiply that by two is average. But the cost of living here is is very, 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 very expensive in in many different ways. Uh, the cost of housing is almost prohibitively expensive, and there is no government uh, assistance if you if you don't have the means to get a house. There's, you know, you're not going to get a house. Um, uh, so, what, what's like the Emirati equivalent of that? Again, uh, not you specifically, but like what what is it? Like a national average, average national average salary in the UAE. What does rent cost if you if you're renting an apartment in Dubai or Abu Dhabi or whatever? Uh, if I jump in here, of course, uh, now now because of COVID, uh, the rent is taking a beating. But uh, but for locals, uh, because of our uh, leaders, where we have uh, where we have, uh, as Ahmed said, you know, we they help us with the housing. Education is free if we go to public school. Um, uh, all the medical uh, medical costs are free. I believe somebody asked in the chat mm-hmm. uh, uh, if it's an insurance. It's a government based insurance. Every we have public hospitals plus we have so health, private ones. Sorry, health and insurance. Add, health health insurance. Medical coverage. Health is, insurance. Yes, everything is covered. Is that and just and and. And and just to add, mm-hmm. if uh, if need be, they can send you to Germany or to somewhere in Europe. If that, uh, if we don't have that expertise in the country, and now just to add, and I'm not gloating, I'm not gloating, ladies you and can gentlemen. Gloat. It's okay. We don't have taxes. We don't have taxes. All of this without taxing us a single. I mean, we just I mean they just two years ago introduced the VAT five the five the five percent. On whatever we buy, but no income tax, no mm. government tax, nothing. Now, what we're describing right now is this: is this for just just to clarify, the UAE has roughly nine million 
residents, uh, and only around 1 million are, are actual Emirati citizens. So what we're talking about right now, this is about Emirati citizens and not yes. all of the residents, the, including health yes. coverage. Are, 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 are all the residents also, they, they take care of themselves? When it comes to the residents, it's by law. I mean, for example, I'm running, I'm running a company. Sure. By law, I need to buy them medical insurance. I cannot get a res- I cannot give them a, a visa or an employment contract. I cannot give them an employment to contract if I don't pay for a medical insurance for them by law. Okay. So it's part of my cost as an employer. And of course, uh, we uh, we uh, I have to uh, give them a s- salary to uh, to uh, to afford the housing. Now, housing can be. As cheap, of course, if you go to a very basic intern white collar, as cheap as 20,000 or 25,000 dirhams to infinity, depending on uh, where you want to go. I mean, depending, I mean, if you want to go to a small studio, it, it is nowadays around 20, between 18 and 22,000 dirhams. So, in, which in, I think, Dan, you can do the, I think it's the same as the shekel. Yeah, yeah the, it must be around like 3.4, 3.5 dirham per the dollar. Yes. 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 It's about, it's about equivalent and, to the uh, Yes. So that is part of, I mean, uh, I will have to pay him a salary that will cover a housing. No, I mean, uh, I don't need to give him a three bedroom or a one bedroom. I need to give him a housing. And of course, for uh, for the uh, for the non-Emiratis and for the Emiratis that don't want to go to public school, we have to go to private school. Now, unfortunately, private school here is very expensive. I'm ha- I'm very happy that one of my one of my kids. He finished high school. He graduated. So I have only two now to pay for, <laughs> two to pay for. So uh, so education is expensive here. Private education is expensive, even comparing to Europe. It's mm. more expensive. Nathani, your son also just uh, finished his, his military service. I was surprised to know that, that Emiratis have a compulsory military national service, just like just like in Israel. Can you just share a few words about that, and then and we'll jump to Nora? Uh, it's just started six, seven years ago. So I did not need to go when I graduated high school in 93. I did not need to uh, go to uh, go to um, uh, to the army. I went to Fort Worth. I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I went to Fort Worth right after high school. So uh, again, it was a culture shock coming from Dubai. Those days, Dubai of 93, going to Fort Worth. Uh, uh, while I have to say the Bedouin way of life and the cowboy way of life is not very different, <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, 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 my son, my son uh, just finished his first stage. You have three stages when it when it comes to the military service. One is called the basic, then the specialization, then it's actually uh, what they call is work placement and work. The placement is based on the specialization. For example, my son was assigned to the specialization of artillery. So after he finishes his artillery training, he will be assigned to an artillery unit. But uh, there is also a law. If uh, if you get uh, above 90 in, uh, in, your, in your high school, you have the right to defer stage two and three. You still have to do stage one, okay, and you can defer stage two and three. Mm. So uh, when uh, Dan came to Dubai, my son had just finished 
uh, his stage one, and uh, we deferred his stage two and three because thank uh, thanks God he got he got the brains of the of uh, his mom, and uh, and he got a very high uh, percentage in high school. So we deferred the second and third stage. So hopefully next year he'll be in uni. And he's going to Stanford. Is that correct? Yes, he Un- is. Unbelievable. We, and, we wish him a lot. And you know what is, and I told you what is exciting him more that Emmett Smith's son is there. <laughs> That's right. If I may add something about uh, you talking about the average salaries, the housing, the healthcare, and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's really important that you guys know. It, it really depends what kind of uh, the citizens and the expats have it way different. And unfortunately, we still have a lot of work to do for uh, labor and everything, but it's going in the right direction in that matter. And uh, we also depends what kind of job, like what kind of position. Some people, foreigners, expats, would have much better health care, much better house, schools, housing uh, allowance, such and such. All depends, you know. It's a very capitalist system. Um, infused with a lot of socialist uh, programs, but it's in the right direction. Nora, you wanted to add something? Yeah, um, uh, there is a misconception about about locals is that we have money trees or <laughs> oil money. No, that's not the case whatsoever. Um, uh, in, in my house, up until my great-grandpa, I think, all of those people used to work either in trading, okay, um, uh, whether be it, um, um, I don't know, um, uh, trading uh, spices, um, uh, traveling to bring in um, uh, students, let's say healthcare, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very, it's, we work really hard. We work really, really hard. Um, and, and, um, in each household, there has to be, well, not has to, but we're striving to have businesses of our own, okay? Because one salary or, or, or a job salary is not, not enough. You need to have another income. You always need to have another income. So what people see, let's say the fancy houses, fancy cars, the the uh, travels, the vacays, um, whatever it is, we really work really hard to have that. And sometimes we barely sleep the night because we need to deal with other stuff. And um, um, uh, we really don't have it easy here. Like we work really hard. Um, My mom, my mom is, my mom still works. Um, uh, my dad, uh, is, uh, he, he's, he's a retired police officer, but he has his business on the side, which I need to manage because mm. I have to, he's my dad, but I need to work on my business too. Plus I have a nine to five job. Wow. So no, we don't have money trees and it's not Arab money, oil money, whatever. No, we work really hard. I can say from, uh, from the eight days I spent in talking to a lot of people, I saw very ambitious people, very hardworking people, uh, and people, um, yeah, trying. I mean, they, they live well, but they're really trying to earn a living and they're constantly trying to innovate and kind of that drive. A lot of times the people associate with Israel or, or you know, um, 
Um, so I was, I was very impressed and, uh, and by that. Um, so, so kind of a different question I want to take. Um, you, all the four of you are dressed in what we might call traditional Emirati clothing. Um, we have, uh, the, you know, the Kandura for men and the Abaya and the Shela for, for women. A lot of people, um, you know, saw the pictures that I posted online. They said, oh, are they, are they religious? Is this? Wait, you know, can you just talk a little bit about what the clothing means? When you wear it, does it mean it's, it's, is it a religious statement? Is it a cultural statement? Um, how does that fit in um, to kind of saying about who you are when you're wearing the traditional clothes and, and, and maybe explain more about the traditional clothes? Who wants to jump in? I feel like Thani wants to jump in. <laughs> I've talked the most, so I think I will give chance to May, and then I'll let give me the for this question. I'll be the answer, the last one to answer, please. So basically, this is called the shela, and this is abaya. It doesn't really have to be black; it can be whatever color you want. Um, it could be a religious thing to cover your hair as in Judaism, you have your, your married women cover their hair in some sort of way. Um, so we do that. Or you get to wear it however you want. Um, uh, like May is wearing, I'm wearing it in a different way. Okay. Um, uh, I decided for myself to cover my hair and to be known as this person on social media or at work. Um, but uh, to me, it's not a religious thing. It's more of a cultural thing. Um, I want to. I want to represent my cu- my culture in the most modest way possible. Um, but yeah, even uh, oh, by the way, historically, this the abaya and the shela was not black whatsoever. The black colors came from Iraq. Uh, to, in in the in the Gulf region, it was more of a colorful kind of thing. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be religious. It's more of a cultural, um, uh, um, dressing, if you will. I will speak Ahmed. about the men's, uh, wear, please, if I may. I am not a historian, so please feel free to correct me, Thani, anytime. Uh, <laughs> I think we had, it was made out of necessity. The color, the design, it's more, it allows uh, more air and it's cooler in the heat. And uh, it has no religious uh, significance at all. And the uh, headgear is basically how formal you are. For example, Thani now is more formal than me. Yes. I am more smart casual, more <laughs> business casual, I guess. <laughs> Thani is wearing a tie now. I'm not. I'm wearing a, <laughs> I'm wearing a colored suit, but colored shirt, but not wearing a tie. So if I have this off, I'm very relaxed, very mm-hmm. casual, and I'm like I would not come uh, to such beautiful podcast, respectable <laughs> podcast, without my headgear on. So, so you're saying, uh, yeah, and I saw, and I saw men uh, wearing wearing the kandura without any head covering. Mm-hmm. Then you saw them wearing it with uh, kind of like what Ahmed is wearing without the the uh, the agal, right? Is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And then, yes. and then uh, Thani is wearing like the equivalent of, of like a business suit, right? It's it's more formal once you have that on. Is there an even more formal version of this? I yes. don't think you can go any formal. <laughs> yes. No, there yes. is. There is. The there bisht. is. If I put a bisht, 
Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, right. yeah, oh, yeah. The, the, the black which, vest. Which, to right? be honest, the last time I wore the last time I wore it was. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank Your you wedding? for saving me. I wanted to put the date of the wedding. Now I know my wife is online. Now she will say I forgot the date. So <laughs> we can change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think May didn't answer. So we'll give her a chance before uh, I uh, I put my two cents to to, to it. Um, you guys covered everything. I I just want to add that the for the woman Sheila and Abaya. It can go from $27 to $4,000 or $5,000. And uh, there are some uh, Italian and French designers who who made abayas um, in their collection. Wow. Do do people also Uh, wear Western clothes? Um, Yes. yes, Under the abaya, you can wear anything as long as it's Uh, modest. mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, just to add, if we go back uh, to history, I mean, go back in history, the Bedouins were wearing more of what Ahmed is wearing at the moment. Uh, or at least they had a very thin type of rope type of agal. This agal, this big agal actually came from Iraq also, and especially from Basra later. But if you go to the old pictures and uh, you speak to the uh, to uh, okay now i mean uh, they will be very old but i mean for example uh, uh, i remember my uh, grandfather and uh, uh, my grandfather he used to wear the ghitra and the agal was more or less like a rope more or less and uh, but then it changed to uh, to a more stylish agal thicker bigger but not as big I believe, uh, uh, Dan, uh, I believe your family is from Iraq. They might remember the agal being thicker in uh, Iraq. It's not, it's not as thick as, uh, as the one in Iraq, but, uh, but it is thick enough. And yes, this is considered the formal. And what is more formal is, I would say, like a menabaya. Uh, just to explain it to you, what we call a bisht, it's usually expensive because there is a lot of gold and silver the, the, the threads on it. And yes, the last time I wore it was uh, 2001. He in remember, June. He, re- he remembered the date. June. No, no, in June. In June 7. June 7. June 7. Nice. I know she's online. I, I think La- <laughs> I think Latifa is going to get some nice flowers and chocolates soon. <laughs> Um, I have a fun fact about the agal that Fanny is wearing. That's the uh, the black rope that's tied around the ghitra. Um, originally, Bedouins used to tie the camel's feet at night when they're traveling, so they they don't go away. With that, and huh. yes, yes, and this thing historically again. So why is it white? Because the heat. The sun, yeah. Thank God, Dan, you. You haven't seen August's heat, nor July, nor June. Okay, you haven't experienced this. You don't want to. <laughs> so um, back then, they they needed to to put uh, to um, uh, keep the 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 ghitra down using the agal. Okay, so that's sort of like a weight to put it down because sometimes it could it could get windy. Plus, with the end of the of the ghitra, they would do this sometimes. Mm. So they would. Yes, so they would cover up because it would get windy and sandy. So face. that's a way to protect themselves. 
It's something that goes down. I don't know, Dan, if you've seen it. Like it's, it, it covers the eyebrows and then goes down the nose and covers the mouth. I saw it in pictures. You've seen it? In, in pictures. Okay, so, so that's called a burga. So if you see it, but mainly, mainly older women wear it. Um, uh, not so much anymore, though. So, yeah. You see that sometimes in Israel with like very, very religious uh, Muslim women. With the Bedouin, you see it with the or Bedouin, Bedouin right? We have Bedouin have here in a, southern a, Israel. A, a quick question for Gil, who's I'm putting uh, a picture if you can see. Yeah, oh, there it is. You, and you can actually, if if you want to link it and put it in the chat so people can look at it, you can do that. Yeah, I'll uh, do that. Gil, can we keep going? Uh, I, I know. Yeah, we, I think we somebody said, else did already. Somebody yeah, else did. Muhammad, thank you, Muhammad. Thank you, Muhammad. Gil, what do you say? Can we keep going if people want to stay on? Yeah, we stayed an hour and a half. We're approaching that, but if anyone uh, wants to stay the conversation is so uh so fun and, and yeah so, so yeah we're, we're having fun we hope our guests are having fun so if people want to stay and, and keep listening you are welcome to and of course as this is a podcast this will be available for download um later on and, and you're welcome to and this up. is a, g- a good time to remind our, our audience uh and our listeners uh please do subscribe to our to our podcast uh on on spotify apple podcasts uh youtube YouTube, uh, or wherever you get your podcast. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter so you can get all the updates. Follow Thani uh, on Twitter. (laughs) Follow Thani on Twitter. That's right. Follow you on Twitter. You guys need to have a bigger audience. Please, please, please start blasting your your, your accounts everywhere. Please. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. So we want to jump into kind of maybe some more – uh, meaty questions. Meaty questions. And my dog here is whining. Uh, Bring it on. Bring it on. So one thing I was very, um, you know, I, I, one of my day jobs is, is you know, I'm a researcher of of, um, of the Middle East. I'm a researcher of Israel, of religious identities, things like that. And I was very surprised. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised. I found sort of a a very modernized and moderate version of Islam. Um, so everything that... that Hold on a second. I'll keep going. He's going to quiet the dog. The dog wants to get into the conversation too. Um, so everything that we've come to know about Islam uh, over the past decades, you know, from turmoil in the region, religious extremism, whether from Sunni or from Shia, um, 9-11, the Wahhabis and... In Saudi Arabia, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, Al Qaeda, um, Hezbollah, um, ISIS or Daesh. Okay, that's kind of what the rest of the world instantly, generally tends to think of as Islam. And I found a very, very modernized, very moderate, very thoughtful, um, very, let's call it accepting uh, version of Islam among the many people I met um, in the UAE. 
Um, I would even kind of compare, I, I don't know if you have the language for this yet, but in Judaism we'll call it something along the lines of maybe a reform conservative or a modern orthodox Judaism where they're the religion has managed to find a way to blend with modernity, um, and and it doesn't feel threatened by modernity, and that's kind of what my initial intake was from conversations with all four of you, and from just looking at society around you. Um, so I don't know if any of you want to reflect about kind of your take on your own uh, Muslim identities, your engagement with Islam, um, and also kind of has it evolved? Are we seeing like an Islam 2.0? Where it's it's self confident to the point where it can accept, um, you know, kind of this kind of moderate version. Are there secular Emiratis who who don't connect to religion at all? Um, can you do this in the UAE? I don't know if anyone wants to jump in and, and take on any of these questions. If I may start, uh, uh, the uh, for me, I don't think it's a modernized version of Islam. I think it's the Islam. I think it was hijacked. By these extremists, and the, uh, unfortunately, they took advantage of uh, vacuum of powers, even uh, being hosted by European countries as dissidents like Khomeini. And now, unfortunately, you see Europe is the most reaping this uh, uh, problem of extremists in their own communities. We in UAE. We treat them as extremists. We tell it the way it is. We blacklist them. Then they call them dissidents. Even uh, Osama bin Laden was called dissident. It's amazing. For So for us, we're doing our part. I think Europe needs to step up. The U.S. needs to step up. And these people are hijacking what we think is the real Islam. I, to me, when you came here, I think you met real Muslims. I don't think you met modernized Muslims. Interesting. I think you will find the same here in Saudi Arabia, in uh, what is it called? Uh, Kuwait, Bahrain. There's a lot of us, even in the uh, Levant area, everywhere. That's my, my humble view about the thing. I'm, I Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone. No, no, I'm, I'm not going to correct you. Um, I'm going to agree with you 110% because when when the whole extremism thing happened it is sad to say that a lot of us and the the new generation started to um like uh, steer away from saying uh, from from saying we're muslims or from from praying our five prayers it's because of the extremists um a lot of like me wearing this traveling scares me. Yep. It scares me. And it, it, it doesn't just scare, it, it terrifies me. And I remember telling you a story when I was, yes, when I, I was, I was in Manchester with my grandma and my grandma, my grandma was, was what, like probably 70 years old, 69, 70 years old. And she had, she had her, her hijab on and some some uh, youthful English guy pulled her Shayla or, or hijab and called her a terrorist. <laughs> and she's an old lady. What is she going to do? Read you to bed? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she, she's just there. She's with yeah. me. So so wearing covering my hair 
terrifies me. So I don't I don't wear the hijab when I when I travel. I either wear a beanie, okay, like a hat, or I just let my hair out because because of 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 what the extremists have done to us. Like you 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 I'm I'm sure that 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 my Jewish friends here have experienced this wearing the kippah. Yeah. Okay, that's the same. People people are 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 um, uh, taunting the 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 image of Islam, Judaism, Christianity by being very extremists. Yeah. Like and 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 that's not that's not how if if you want to be approachable, if you want to be accepted, you need to meet at a middle ground. And this is not it. Thank you. Thank you. May uh, anyone else, Danny, you guys want to chime in on that? May you want to start? May you want to start before? Uh, uh, actually, ahead. I totally, uh, thank you, May. Actually, I totally agree with Ahmed. The uh, Islam is to, I mean, even as the word Islam means peace. Uh, and it's uh, for us to live in peace and for the others to live in peace. Uh, unfortunately, again, now my history bit will kick in. All through history and all religions, not only Islam, all religions, even the uh, non-Abrahamic re- religion, uh, is was and is and unfortunately will be used to buy loyalty and to buy support. There are a lot of ignorant people or mil uh, or or ill-read or ill-informed or ill-educated people that are emotional and a small group of people use that to get power now they preach islam to them they preach religion to them they preach the version of islam that beginning uh, that absor- that uh, that can attract them and then slowly slowly they uh, they turn them into fanatics uh, uh, I can tell you, being an Emirati, uh, in the UAE, nobody tried to convert me to fundamentalist Islam. Mm-hmm. When I was in Boston, I was approached many times mm-hmm. trying to see. But, and, but what helped me that I was well read and I was answering them back. I was answering them back. So they couldn't they couldn't uh, convince me, but I've, I saw guys in front of me that were uh, ill-educated, not well-read, and they, they uh, 180 degrees turned from being drunk every weekend to suddenly going to, uh, in, going to university in the cold weather in January and February. And you guys know, I, mean, I believe, uh, Dan, your father was just wrote in the chat how cold is uh, where he is now. Can you imagine in a condora in Boston in January, wearing a condora, going to university, his beard reaches his belly button. Okay. And then in the middle of the class, he gets up and gets up and starts preaching. Preaching people, okay? Yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, imagine you seeing that scene. Imagine. So, we we have seen that, and unfortunately, uh, I uh, I know some of the listeners might be upset. This is when freedom of speech is misused, when people use the freedom of speech as a tool to preach the wrong message. Now, unfortunately, here they don't dare. I wouldn't say it's controlled or not controlled. No, because if somebody will talk 
the wrong side of history or the wrong side of Islam, no, we will, uh, we will, uh, we will stop that. And that is not only for Sunnis, for Shias, but everybody. We want moderate Islam. If somebody speaks or talks uh, a fanatic version, then, of course, politely, first, first, uh, first time, they'll knock his door, give him a call, and tell him, calm down. And if he doesn't, and uh, if he's local, he might be questioned or, uh, or prosecuted. And if he's not local, he, will, he might be asked to leave the country because we don't entertain we don't entertain this type of uh, this type of uh, islam islam is is a peaceful religion i have studied islam uh, 12 years in school i was in a public school so uh, islam uh, was a, a major subject for uh, for me uh, and the uh, teachers that i had uh, were uh, quite well scholars uh, and I, I was taught a moderate Islam. I was taught that the religion is is a is a connection between you and God, and it has nothing to do with the one next to you. Now, even in the way I I believe in in God, in Islam we have Salafism, we have Sufism. Now, uh, even these have been hijacked. The Salafism has been hijacked. The Sufism has been hijacked. The Shiism has been hijacked. I mean, the Shia, that if you go and read the Shia book 60 years ago and read the Khomeini version of Shia, it's not the same. If you go and see the Salafi version, that they, I mean, there is a new group uh, of Salafis that they call themselves Al-Asraniyun. Al-Asraniyun means the modern Salafis. Okay, where uh, they speak that the it's a bit like the Protestant. If you remember on dinner, we explained it to you. It's your connection to God. Yeah, personal. Okay, it's your connection to God, your personal connection to God. Your brother, if he doesn't believe, so what? If your brother is a is a, uh, is a Sufi or a Shia, so what? So what? And to answer a, an, another question, is there secular Muslims? Yes, definitely we have secular Muslims. We have Muslims that have not studied religion at all. They are Muslims by uh, by name. Here, we do. But, but if you go to Europe, I'm sorry, I'm taking too long. If you go to Europe, they know nothing about Islam. They just know from their parents that they are Muslims. They might go to Sunday school, to Sunday school, to learn from a person that was kicked out of the Arab countries. So can you imagine what version of Islam will that person learn? The incident, I want to, I will end this story with the incident that happened in France. The person that, the person who killed the teacher because he showed the, the picture of the prophet. Now, if, if I was there, and I would like to debate, if I was there in front of the guy before he stabbed that teacher, and I would tell him, if you want to follow the prophet, the prophet himself, his cousin, the prophet's cousin was not a Muslim. And he was, at those days, it was very famous to attack people by poetry. It was very famous. So his cousin, his cousin attacked the prophet with very bad, rude, dirty poetry attacking the prophet. The prophet did not 
ask anybody to take his revenge. The Prophet did not ask anybody to go and kill him. The Prophet did not ask anybody to go and even talk to him to stop it. No, the Prophet said, leave him. Until one day, one of the Muslims said, at least can I reply? Can I reply? And he said, yes, you can, but without attacking him. So that guy replied, praising the Prophet. In this, what, in this lesson, what do we learn? That we need to talk to the other person. We need to talk to the teacher. Yes. Does he have the right to, does he have the right to show the, uh, the picture of the Prophet? I would say yes, but he will hurt me. Let me tell him why will that hurt me? Why will it hurt 1.3 billion people in the world? Why? Then if he still wants to do it, then it is his prerogative. It is his decision. But then he knows what he's doing. He's not ill-informed. So why, I, mean, I would have talked to that person before he, before he stabbed. Because this is what the Prophet taught us. Thank you. Thank you, Thani. Thank you. So Dan came back and like just just went on and on and on about how, how much of an extremely tolerant society towards other cultures and religions there, there is in the UAE. And we can definitely see that and, and, and hear that in your stories and hear that in... And, and just understand that from the very fact that you're here with us today, um, it, it, it's not lip service, you know. So, so from your perspectives, it's real. It's 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 nothing that's. Uh, how, how did you get there? You know, how did you get there? And and I think to to bring it to this group, you know, should you know there are Israelis and Jews who are and have been worried about you know what it might be like to travel to an Arab country uh, in in our region. You know, we've had uh, a cold peace with Egypt and Jordan for for many years now, and most people in Israel uh, don't don't travel to those countries. Uh, I have uh, I, I work in tourism, so so many of my colleagues have as well, but most Israelis don't. Um, should Israelis be worried to travel to the UAE? Should, you know, what what type of a welcome might they experience? Could Jews go to the UAE and feel comfortable wearing you know a kippah on their head if they're religious? Uh, you know, what, what what's going on? If I may answer quickly, I think the uh, answer is you should not be worried one bit. First of all, this country takes great pride in being one of the safest in the world, if not the safest. And number two, really nobody cares where you're from. (laughs) (laughs) We don't care. We have 200 nationalities here, like they said. People from every walk of life and race and religion. You will be just another guy in the street. Maybe it will be new to us at first with your uh, kippah or something, if you identify uh, with your uh, attire. And maybe this will work in your advantage, like Dan saw himself. We got into we got a VIP table at the pool. <laughs> Is that kind of <laughs> because like they found like out he's from Israel? There's like a novelty about it. Like you know, let me bring my friend from Israel, and people are like, "Whoa!" Like. That's a, that's something we haven't seen. Is it is it like is it there's an excitement about it amongst Emiratis? Emiratis and non-Emiratis who reside in UAE. The guy who gave us the table was from uh, Nigeria. Yeah, yeah. He was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Like, it's, it's, it, this only happens in UAE where you see an African, an Emirati, Jew, Indian, everyone at one table. Just like it's amazing. Nobody cares. You're talking. You're talking about uh, what, like, a country that is basically a mini version of the world. You have everyone living here. So, 
you guys are 100% safe. Um, you can wear your kippah uh, wherever you want. Um, I am sorry that <laughs> we don't have many kosher restaurants. <laughs> sorry. We're getting there. Uh, we're getting there. But um, you are more than welcome. And you shouldn't be afraid or worried. Um, I had one of my friends, uh, Charlie, uh, who came from Israel. And he was wearing his kippah, meeting my dad in his art gallery. So that was pretty insane. That that's so nice. That's so nice. He was he was he was um uh kind of afraid. Maybe no, not afraid. Maybe worried by wearing that. I told him, "Yo, chill. Yeah, Can yeah. wear that." I want to add something. Please, um, so. Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, uh, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, ordered the construction of a building dedicated to interfaith harmony. And that facility is called uh, the Abrahamic Family House. It's going to be located on Sabiyat Island, which is in Abu Dhabi, the capital city, <clears throat> right next to the Louvre Museum. And uh, what's interesting is that the Abrahamic family house will have a mosque that's oriented, you know, towards Mecca and a synagogue that will face Jerusalem and a church that will point towards east towards the sun. And so each building will have uh, its individual entrance. But in the middle, there's going to be, you know, a big garden that connects the all three. I think uh should be ready um by 2022 2023 That's amazing. Uh so, and, and actually yeah, so we're going to have a synagogue, a church and a mosque next to each other. That's unbelievable. And actually one of one of our communities that's participating right now is the Omaha community where my uh wife is from and where my in-laws uh the taxmans are now listening. I saw them on the chat. Um and actually I I looked this up for a research project a few years ago. Uh, so this new project in Abu Dhabi, um, it, which which is being constructed, and until then, the only church, synagogue, mosque in the world uh, that I'm aware of, and then I looked this up, exists in Omaha, Nebraska. You mean like in one structure? One structure where they share a community room, and then each religion has its own prayer space. Interesting. So, so this will be the second. As far as I'm aware, I looked into this a couple of years ago, and that's incredible. Um, so let, let's jump. We talked about safety. We talked about just being welcome. Before we talk about that, you know, yeah, please, I just Danny. wanted to add to add it with a bit of uh, drama, if you allow me. We love drama. I will, I, the thing is, I can't copy Martin Luther King, but I will say I have a dream that one day a little Israeli boy will be holding hands with an, with a, with an Arab boy walking out of the Abrahamic family. The Islamic, uh, the, the Muslim boy is walking out of the mosque and the Israeli or the Jewish is walking out of the, uh, of the synagogue and they hold hands and they break bread with each other. Everything starts with a dream. And I think this, I mean, thanks to our uh, leaders, they are making this dream come true. Amazing. That, that's beautiful. Um, so we wanted to in, in include some of our uh, guests on this call. So uh, we have, let's see if we can get her up on the line, Efrat Srebro, that's a hard name to say, who wanted to ask a question to our panelists. 
טוב, מסע אלחר, אהלן ביקום. אסמי אפרת סרברו, ואנא מן אכה, אסימת אלג'ליל אל-רבי. ואני הקוצ'ר של הפרטנרשיפ. ואני רוצה לדבר אינפורמציה על הנשים סטטוס. So we'll obviously direct this at our uh, women guests first, and then afterwards Ahmed will share a cool little story with us. Uh, May, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, I just want to, there is a, a very famous quote by uh, our, founding fa- uh, our founding father, Sheikh Zayed Masultan al-Nahyan, and uh, he says, the woman is half of the society, Any country which pursues development should not leave her in poverty or illiteracy. I am on the woman's side. And uh, so, so, you know, we've, you know, women have been supported by our leaders, you know, since a very long time. Um, Emirati women make up around 70% of all university graduates. Wow. So that's, that's, that's a lot. It's more than here. Yeah. Um, And then, um, and women are, um, so I think in the government, they're around 50%. It's, it's we unbelievable. Have, we have the youngest, the, um, uh, um, the youngest uh, female, minister. yes, female um, uh, minister of, of youth. Her name is Shema, uh, Shema Al-Mazru'i. And um, we have... women part of the parliament so and we have a whole association for women's and children's rights so being a woman in this country yes we have we have all of the support from our leaders government and from our family um it's it's different uh, it feels it feels like like we have a say in things Um, and we actually do have a say in, in, in a lot of things. Um, now you see, you can see women who are in, 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 uh, uh, upper management. You can see women as CEOs. You can see women as VPs. Um, you can see women as, um, entrepreneurs. So. Um, we are blessed to be a part of this country. We have all of our rights. And by the way, the UAE is the first country in the region that requires every government organization and every company to have female board members. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. I, I was actually blown away. Um, you know, like I said, I, I travel with a tourist hat, but I also travel with kind of like my researcher hat. And uh, coming, the first thing I saw coming from the airport, I believe down Sheikh Zayed Road, there's a giant billboard for cars. Um, like a car dealership? A car, a car brand. Okay. Uh, I forget which one it was. And you see three giant pictures of people driving different models of this car. Um, and, and, and I think this says a lot about, you know, a society. And I'll juxtapose that with, with kind of the issues that we often talk about here in the Israeli context in the ultra-Orthodox society here where there's been kind of a trend of erasing women from billboards and from advertisements and things like that. And what did I see? I saw... Uh, picture number one is a family uh, driving in a car. The man's driving. Picture number two, three women driving in the car, including one dressed traditionally and the other two dressed more in a secular Western fashion. And picture number three, a family driving in a car with the woman driving. And I think, I think uh, you know, that was just kind of one of the first things that hit me 
um, as as I was, you know, coming into into uh, Dubai, they said, okay, th- this says to me something about where they're trying to go, um, what they're aspiring to, and kind of, you know, advertising. The advertising is often always tied with kind of where society is and where it's trying to go at the same time. I thought that was really interesting. Um, Ahmed, actually, you have a, a very cool story in your family, and uh, if you, if you want to share it. Yeah, a little background. My uh, family, I have a big family. I have six <laughs> sisters and two brothers. So I've always been, uh, as you may say, in touch with my feminine side. <laughs> I, uh, Don't say that out loud, Ahmed. Huh? <laughs> I have to... Uh, I it have did. To make... It's there. It's the public I record am a now. Feminist, forever. not by choice, but by uh, the environment I grew up around. I uh, anything I see a woman goes through, I think about my sisters. Anything like uh, when it comes to women, I think about them. So it's always been very important for me. And who is and, your sister? Uh, I'm sure what Dan is referring to is the highlight of my family. Is uh, my uh, sisters? Two of them are pilots. Oh, one wow. uh, one flies uh, for Etihad. And the other one flies for uh, the army, F-16s. And uh, it's funny because every time when I was in the U.S., people would judge where I'm from and would say, hey, you guys treat women bad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, come here, look at this. And I would show them my sister on CNN flying f 16 <laughs> 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 and it would be a like it would be a complete shock, and they would feel embarrassed and bad. That's not my goal, but my goal is like, hey, don't judge. So yeah, and uh, my sister is uh, also beside these two pilots. Most of them exceeded me in life because the government here not only support them, but they actually give them a better start than men, which I am very happy about, as they actually deserve it. I don't see uh, it's good for society, it's good for me, it's good for my family, it's good for them. So why not? That's amazing. There's enough uh, cake for all of us to eat. I mean, just to say, I think everybody knows the saying that behind every great man, there is a a great uh, lady. Even if you see Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed uh, from Abu Dhabi, his mother, Sheikh Fatima, is known as a visionary mother. Uh, even Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, uh, his mother, Sheikh Latifa bin Hamdan, also has been visionary. And his uh, grandmother, Hassa uh, bin Tilmur, all of them have been visionary in helping their, their uh, either their husbands, their children to reach where they are. So the, the uh, women have from the past, played a key role in our society. Even if in the front, you see you see us men, but we couldn't have done it without the women in the society. Wow. And kind of uh, a couple of the questions that some of, uh, I know people have asked me a lot personally, and some of the, um, you know, some of the people submitted, submitted questions. Um, um, but if you just want to explain or kind of to, to our guests, um, it, is it safe for women to, to, let's say, walk around, walk around at night by yourselves? I mean, it, what, what's that kind of sense? Uh, maybe we'll let our ladies answer that uh, question. 
can, oh, you can you can walk around on your own three in the morning with no man around you. Go for a jog late night, and you will always be safe. No one, no one would ever hurt you. No one would ever mug you or or annoy you. It's when when Thani when when Thani and Ahmed said we take pride in being the safest and calling ourselves the safest country. Yes, this is how safe we are. Um, I've 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 read Asher. Asher is a man, okay, and he said that he felt safer being in Dubai in the UAE wearing his kippah in one o'clock in the morning. Um, than than being in in Europe or or uh, I don't know in the states probably. So this is how safe it is, not just for women but for men too, and for other religions and 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 nationalities and backgrounds. So yes, I mean for now I could I could go out and just walk around and I'd be totally safe. Terrific. Um, I, I was gonna yeah, I, mean, I was gonna I, answer that question myself for people, but I'm a 230 pound dude, so I usually don't no, feel unsafe no, but, walking uh, around in places. <laughs> but I have a short story to add. One of my customers, uh, he's a British, and I asked him. Uh, I mean, he decided to live here, so he kept so he kept on even when his company let him go. He didn't go back to the UK, and he tried to find a job here. And I told him. What will you do if you don't find a job? He said, no, I'll stay here to find a job. And I asked him why. He said, my daughter is 15. If she was in the UK and she was at a friend's house at around 10 p.m. I, and, and I need her to come home. I will either go myself to pick her up or I will speak to the, to the friends, the family and see if, the, if, if my daughter can have a sleepover and I'll come and pick her up in the morning. But here, at even at 1 a.m., I will not be scared to tell her, jump in a taxi and come home. For a 15-year-old girl, I'll not be scared. She can Uber or she can just jump into a normal taxi and come home. That is why I don't want to go back to the UK. Interesting. Anyone else want to add uh, something? Before we jump on to the last kind of set of questions, go for it. No, I... I no, you to the next set of questions. Oh, the next set of questions, sorry. <laughs> I would say we're moving on to final jeopardy, but I think yeah. it's too soon. Too soon, too soon, too soon. Too soon. Uh, uh, don't say that word. Don't I say know. that word. You know I, what happened? We to, know. We I know. We're we very know. sad. We're, even know, d- was, yeah, don't say that. It's, it's been a rough week for some of our favorite uh, celebrities. Um, yes. Okay, so maybe like to, to just to bring up like maybe the most the most important thing that's connecting both of us at this time. I mean, we're living in a time where you know we've all expressed how this Abraham Accords. It was both very surprising, the timing of it, and also something that I think on both of our sides we could see coming and, and happening. Um, the four of you are are here because you're involved in the UAE-Israel Forum, and Thani, you sit on the UAE-Israel Business Council together with Dan. So obviously you all have connections with Israel and Jews and, and Israelis. Man, Noah, you're you're in, you know you're you're actively learning Hebrew, which is you know no easy task, and and I think a lot of our Jewish friends in the U.S. that are on this call can can agree with that. Uh, Thani, you're very well versed in history and in politics. Ahmed, you're very keen to learn about Israel and Judaism. Um, I think what we'd like to do now is kind of talk about what happened in terms of the normalization from your own personal perspectives. You know, first of all, what did you know about or think about Israel and Jews growing up? 
What did you learn about, or was it at all discussed in school? How was Israel portrayed in the news before this? And then, you know, after this happened, you know, how, how did your views evolve over time? Um, did they evolve over time, or did you always have open feelings about this? And uh, and maybe before we, we jump into that, um, we have another one of our uh, audience members, Miriam Marcus, from the Northwest Indiana Federation, who wanted to add a question connected to this set of questions. Miriam? Yes, hi. Um, really enjoying this discussion. Uh, so my question um, relates to maybe what past misconceptions you all might have had about Israel or Israelis. Um, what was the most outlandish thing you had heard about Israel or Israelis that you now know is not true? That's a great question, and maybe we'll add Jews into that mix. So maybe the craziest thing you heard about Israelis, Israel, or Jews that now you know is not true, and not all of that kind of questions we asked. Not approachable. What? Who's not approachable? You guys? What? I have more friends. I have more Israeli friends, Jewish friends uh, combined than UAE nationals. Like, guys, (laughs) (laughs) this is this is real. This is real. So for me, I never I never had Israeli friends. I never had Jewish friends. Um. I, so when the normalization happened, my father said, Hey, go watch it. I'm like, why? I know it happened. I mean, it happened back in August. So why am I supposed to see the signing? He's like, no, no, go see it. Take a picture of it. Take some videos because when it happened with Egypt, I was not there to, to, to take pictures and to witness it. So I, I sat there and I was just watching it. But before the actual signing happened, I already had been talking to, to Israeli people and to Jewish people. And um, uh, right now, we, we are literally a pack of wolves. We have each other's backs. We are a family. And we are working, we are, we are working with Israel Is, um, uh, the, the youth organization. And... and um, uh, I can I can happily and proudly say that these guys are my family. And when I got sick, when I got sick, they were the first ones to jump on and to call me and to text me and to ask if, if I needed anything. Guys, you guys are in Israel. What would I need? We're going to mail you bam- chicken soup. <laughs> I would I would some bam- <laughs> <laughs> But but it's it's I've I've taken it I've taken it um with an open heart and in open arms I I really I'm I'm really happy and and my heart feels warm every time I talk to my Israeli and Jewish friends and I'm learning a lot I'm learning about the religion the culture and and like it it feels it feels easy you know, it feels easy talking to Israelis and it feels easy talking to Jewish people. When I was younger, I had no connection whatsoever. I didn't know anything about about Judaism. Now I do. And I can happily say that I respect all religions because I didn't have the last piece of the puzzle, which came like three months ago. So I can I can proudly say that that. 
the puzzle is complete. And you guys, I'm I'm happy. We are too. May, you care to jump in? Sure. Um, so I've had Israeli friends way before. And um, it's funny because whenever we travel, as you know, with my family, and uh, we always, you know, find the table next to us with a family that's very similar. And then we end up talking and, you know, they end up to be Israelis. Uh, it's funny how we have a lot of similarities. Um, so I've, um, I've been listening to Afra Hazab or Sharabi <laughs> since I was a teenager. The classics. I mean, now, now I listen to Omar Adam, Itai Levi, Al Golan. Um, I also watch uh, a lot of uh, Israeli TV shows like Fauda. <laughs> uh, and uh, my favorite is uh, Shtisel. Wow. And um, so I've been not only learning the language, I've also been learning, I've been reading uh, Parshas. And uh, I've been um, researching on the traditions and the culture. And I've been doing this for a year now. Um, it's unbelievable. So uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm very passionate about it. And, you know, with the uh, signing of the Abrahamic Accords, I took a photo of, you know, me sitting in the living room, watching, you know, watching it on TV and send it to my Israeli friends. And so they were in Israel sitting in their living room, watching it live. And, you know, they took a photo too. So it was beautiful. It's like a family reunion. Amazing. And when did you start learning Hebrew? September 2019. Wow. You're taking with an Ulpan. With an Ulpan. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's an intensive uh, Hebrew program for those who are not familiar. Unbelievable. Um, and, and so you, you've had a lot of experience meeting Jews, meeting Israelis. Um, mm -hmm. So was there anything that surprised you kind of in this renewed period when, when with the normalization or up to the normalization? Because you actually were into this before. Yes. Um, what surprised me is I thought that we always had normalization with Israelis because, you know, <laughs> we've always have, you know, we've been doing business uh, with Israelis. So um, I just found out a year ago when I invited my Israeli friends to come to Abu Dhabi and they told me that, you know, you can't come and, you know, there's it's a bit complicated. And I told them, no, I, you know, I don't know anything about that. You know, you guys are more than welcome to come, your family, and we'll be so happy to host you. And, um, yeah. So, you know, the signing happened, and um, and now we have the, this lovely reunion with the Israelis, and we're very happy about it. Amazing. Fanny, Ahmed? I mean, just, just to answer the most outlandish thing we thought, okay, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's funny that the lowest IQ in Israel will be like around 200. It's true. It's me. It is. <laughs> I'm the dumbest person. I mean, in this to be honest, this was like the like everybody's smart. You're committed, okay, from childhood. Everybody's smart. So this is why you're successful. This was the most outlandish. But you know, it's like everybody else. Everybody has has educated people and ill-educated, red and red, smart, 
you're, you're, we are all humans at the end of the day. <laughs> ten fingers, ten toes, as we say, you know, we are all the same. It's true. So well, I hope I answered your question. How, how did you grow up? Uh, but this is not your question, Dan. Yes. So okay. I think I'll leave Ahmed to say what is the most outlandish thing. Uh, but, but also, if, if you don't mind, Thani, uh, how did you grow up um, learning about Israel um, or about Jews uh, before you were able to meet Israelis or Jews? Um, you know, what did you see on the news? What did you learn in school? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I think I explained that I was in a public school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not very proud to say that my education was very anti-Semitic uh, education. Uh, we had some, we had a Shakespeare novel translated into Arabic. So, and I think I told you, take a wild guess, which which one was translated into Arabic? It and was and I guess correctly, Venice, yeah. Merchant of Venice and uh, stressing on Shylock. Uh, I had friends from my childhood that were Palestinians, what we call from Palestine 48 or uh, from Diffa, uh, from the, bank, from the, the West, West Bank, Bank or yeah. from Gaza. I had teachers from Palestine. So uh, the stories that we heard or that we were taught either, I mean, three options, true, not true or exaggerated. I think I heard all of them regardless. I mean, the true, the country, they were in state of war. I mean, uh, we like it or not. Uh, we like it or not. In a state of war, uh, people I mean, people die. This is why we shouldn't fight at the at the end of the day. So my education was a very anti-Semitic education. Uh, and but what I was lucky, I was lucky that I had a family that always taught me not to not to uh, not to listen to one side and to hear every single uh, every single uh, side and uh, and uh, and take my own decision and my love of history i think i again i told you that my love of history started from a very young age and according to my mother my favorite movie as a kid was 10 commandments mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and my favorite part was when Pharaoh's mother was holding baby Moses and was saying Moses, Moses, uh, when they found <laughs> when they when she took him from from the river, uh, and and uh, uh, that movie, of course, it was very similar to what we have in the Quran, not exactly. So that was the beginning where I was trying to read more than one version, so, and. Reading a lot of history, I tend to reach this conclusion, you don't know what to believe and what not to believe. We believe whatever we are told, but at the end, we need to take our own decision what to believe. And history and facts is like a crystal. If you move a millimeter to the right or a millimeter to the left, the reflection will be different and the crystal will look different. So that is what made me read about Israel and about Judaism and made me change and I went through the journey of changing from an anti-Semitic education to an, an, a, to a person that wants to normalize, a person that would love to, I mean, my dream, I have two dreams. One of them was this normalization. The second dream is for the UAE to moderate a peace between or a peace in, in Israel with the Palestinian and the Arabs. As I told you, one country, two countries, three countries, it's not for me to say. I don't live there. It's for the people that live there to decide. Interesting. But, but, stop fighting. 
stop fighting. The Palestinians need to need to learn to live and accept the status. Uh, I mean, sorry, not to accept the status quo that the leaders are telling them, but to accept Israel and live in peace. Interesting. Sorry, I took um, I take long. And it's as okay. I said, you know, as long just, as it's interesting, you're allowed to. I want to add something. By the way, um, Emiratis travel a lot, and uh, you know, ever since childhood, and uh, I mean, almost ninety nine percent of Emiratis travel. And you know, when we travel, we go to museums, we go to uh, memorial sites, we go to. Um, we visit cathedrals, we visit synagogues. Um, so, you know, we have a, a general knowledge, I guess, you know, um, of, of all of that. And I think it's, it's very important. Thank you. Ahmed? Yeah, for me, the biggest misconception was the idea that Israelis do not want to share space with the Arabs and uh, Jerusalem and uh, the other holy sites and such. But then I saw the stats, how many mosques Israel itself built, the reach out, the Palestinian rejections of uh, negotiations and such. Of course, uh, again, it's all about uh, how the media portrays things. Even uh, when I was in the U.S., it's the same uh, unfortunate uh, dialogue is that both parties do not want to agree. But that's not the truth. There's people on both sides who want peace. And the problem is, as in the case uh, in many uh, political situations, the moderate voices, the peaceful voices, are overshadowed by the extremists. Again, on both sides. That's the problem. So the famous, the most famous videos articles that will be uh, more, uh, how do you say it, easier to see for us would be the extremist views, because that's what gets attention. Now, about my uh, exposure to uh, Judaism and uh, Jewish people and Jewish culture, when I was learning English, I asked my uh, teachers to give me easier books to read. And the first book they gave me was the... uh, Mouse, the one about uh, the comic book. Uh, I don't know if it's the appropriate name. A gra- graphic novel. Graphic novel. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. About the Holocaust. And uh, it was eye-opening. And then, uh, funny, I moved, uh, coincidence, I moved to Richmond, and I was living right next door to the Holocaust Museum. So going to the Holocaust Museum of Richmond, Virginia, also made me more uh, aware of the history, of the facts, of such uh, suffering that the Jewish people went through and why the state of Israel needs to exist. Wow. So these kind of things affected and shaped my opinion about the whole situation. And uh, Again, the differences are there. We have a lot of work to do. I, I don't. You guys do. <laughs> but uh, what I mean is uh, there is work to do, but the future looks promising, inshallah. As uh, you see a lot of uh, people on board with UAE and Israel normalization from uh, every single country. They're just too afraid to say it and overshadowed by extremist opinions. 
Thank you. Thank you. Always, it's always the first step that was that's the hardest, which the UAE already took, and everybody is going to come on board. Whether whether it's it's three months from now, whether it's three years from now, everyone is going to come on board because the for me the amount of support I had from strangers, Israeli strangers, Jewish strangers, was was mind boggling. It was insane. I didn't have that much support in middle school to pass my 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 classes. I didn't have that much support, but me being being insane and doing whatever it is that I want to do. Um, once, once, once I decided to go up that building with Ronnie, who is an Israeli, who is Jewish. Okay. I like, it was, it, it wasn't staged. Nothing was staged. We both knew that we wanted peace. We wanted to, put out a message and the message was always peace. Okay. Peace starts with the politicians continues with the youth. This is my quote forever and always. I'm going to live by it. I'm going to die by it. Peace starts with the politicians continues with the youth. We are doing this for the next generations to come. It's not for us. We lived it. We're in it. It's for the next generation. We want, we want all of the kids to be brought up in, in a peaceful environment and in a normal environment, like, like that our leaders have done for us. Now we can officially say, yo, we have Israeli friends. Hey, 972 is calling me. Yo, what's good? So it's not just, you know, like, like, I mean, this feels right. This is right. Okay. War never brought anything to anybody. Okay. So when people used to used to comment, can somebody explain to this yeah, a cuss word for me that there wasn't no war between UAE and Israel? So I was like, so why won't we have normalization then? There was no war to start with, right? So yeah, let let's let's bring peace in. So what? More people should come in. Peace is a is a is a is a great path to walk in. And it needs to be endorsed more. People need to understand this. People need to get it through their heads that war will never solve anything. But have more people dying and then saying this party killed our party. This party killed ours. So stop it in order for people to start living their lives. You know, hop on board. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely journey. Thank you. Thank you. I would just would like to add, I mean, I was actually talking to uh, uh, two Israelis today, and I would like to add the normalization, even if the government did sign the peace, you don't want the cold peace. And how can we avoid the cold peace is me and you guys talking, you and us talking. We are all talking to each other. That is how peace can happen. It's not only the government talking to each other. No, it is us. And I, the example I used <clears throat> when, again, <clears throat> from the story that we both share in the Quran and in the Torah, God parted the sea, but the Israelites and Moses had to go through. God could have carried them. We all believe God could do everything. God could carry the Israelites from this side of the sea to the other side. 
So why did he d- did not do that? And he opened and he parted the sea. The Israelites and Moses had to take the first step to peace. And what was behind them? The Pharaoh, who was the violence. I mean, I'm using a metaphor of yes, violence and the peace. It's the people. Moses and the people should take the first step towards peace. Yes. That's brilliant. Thani, we've always called you a mensch. I think we'll have to start calling you Rabbi Thani also. <laughs> so we, we have time for one, one last one, question. One last question. Uh, we want to go to Alan Koslow of West Des Moines, Iowa. If Alan is still on the on the platform. I just got uh, muted. Hi. I want to first thank you all for this. It was an excellent program. Uh, my question is, wasn't the relationships before this very good between Israel and the Emirates? Uh, so other than the official diplomatic issues, does this change anything on the ground for those Jews who are living in the Emirates, uh, those that want to emigrate to the Emirates, um, and the Emirates that want to visit Israel, or any other way for the average person? Thank you. If I may answer, I uh, think like the back channels always existed between the two countries, and it's uh, not a very uh, hidden thing. But the uh, biggest thing for me to be able to talk to Israelis face to face, to be able to uh, meet them, know them, show them who I am, know who they are. And this creates a precedent for other countries to follow. And this reduces the dehumanization that has been going on for generations. This is the big thing. Just amazing. The first meeting Dan, it's like surreal. I want to touch that guy. See, is he real? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's more humane that way. It's, it was very diplomatic before, maybe very uh, official. But now it's humane. It's actual people-to-people communication, coexistence. This kind of line of thinking is more important, I think, than any political relations. For for the Jewish people who 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 were here, um, I've met I've met a couple um, uh, in the same restaurant that we went to, the kosher restaurant. Um, so they're from New York and they're Jewish. And the guy said, I used to live here two years ago. I used to live in Dubai two years ago. But in order for me to live, I wasn't able to wear my kippah. And I had to wear a baseball hat in order for me to cover. And I saw him again after after um uh, a second time visiting that restaurant, by the way, it's called Kaf. It's delicious. Um, I, I saw him again and he said, Hey, remember me? I said, of course. How can I forget you? He said, I am still trying to believe that I can wear my kippah around. And I, I sat, I sat there and I told him, sir, I am sorry for what you had to go through. I am sorry on behalf of the whole world for what you had to go through. And he said, you don't have to apologize for anything. It is what it is. But I was like, no, you guys are humans. We see a lot of humans, but very little humanity, which sucks. 
it sucks big time. Excuse me. I don't know if I can say this, but it's, it, it wasn't, it, it's not right. I, for, for, for me, oh, by the way, my Jewish friends, Jewish family, I'm 6% Jewish on my mom's side, <laughs> DNA test. <laughs> so close enough. Um, 23 and me is not a sponsor. <laughs> we should get them on board. We should though. They should definitely. So, um, uh, the, the, the Jewish population in the, in the Emirates can peacefully go out wearing the kippah. They can peacefully go out and say we're Israelis or we're Jewish. Um, I am, uh, I am happy that we've reached to that point. Um, now, as I said, the UAE is a mini world version. So hello, welcome. Welcome to your home. Um, I just, I want to add something. So we have the um, Jewish uh, community of the Emirates. And uh, I've been friends with them um, long before the, um, the Abrahamic uh, Accords. And uh, tell you a funny story. On, uh, I was invited uh, to uh, Yom Kippur. So, um, the you know breaking the fast, and you know they told me if you want to attend the service, you're more than welcome. Your family, so uh, so I attend. I attended the service, and you know the the hall was divided into two. Half the hall were like all the men, and then, then the other half were all the women. And they had a a beautiful uh, Torah sc- scroll. Um, made out of gold and it was just incredible. And, you know, they were doing all the prayers. So they gave me a book to, you know, just to know what they're saying. And I was following, you know, in, in Hebrew. And what's funny, I'm like in my Shela and Abaya and I'm sit, sitting between all these, you know, Jewish women. And then like the woman in front of me turns around and asks me, Hey, which page are we on? <laughs> And it was, it, it's funny, but, you know, I don't know. It's, it's very strange. Um, but I loved it. You know, it was, uh, very spiritual. And, and also after, you know, when they, when they break the fast, um, they had a, a table with bottles of water and dates. And, you know, we have a tradition, um, when we break our fast, uh, during Ramadan, we, we have a date and drink water. So uh, it's it's incredible. Amazing, Danny. Any last words? Uh, I mean, to be honest, I knew uh, some. Uh, uh, I knew few Jews that lived in the United Arab Emirates. One of them actually lived for more than thirty years, but he's very secular. And uh, but, anyways, he was not practicing. But the Jews that I know that were practicing. Uh, as uh, Nora said, now they feel more comfortable walking around with the kippa, and this actually makes me more proud of my country, uh, of uh, being uh, acceptable, uh, acceptable of every religion, every every nation, regardless of our differences or our disagreements. So even as friends, friends do disagree. 
but uh, it, I'm very proud that UAE took the first step in the Gulf, and <clears throat> and I would say hopefully the first step in the Arab in the Arab world or in the Arab countries that would be a true peace, not uh, not a cold peace like uh, with Jordan and Egypt. Amazing, yeah, and and it's it, it really was a visionary piece, um, and we hope we we here in Israel and I think Jewish people around the world have long hoped to to become a part of this region and feel a part of this region and this um, outstretched hand by the UAE was was uh, a brave move because it's not totally accepted in the Arab world. But I think you know I, I, I think I mentioned uh, on a previous podcast that I, I I'm starting to view the UAE as sort of the R and D lab of the Arab world. Um, and maybe it's also the, you know, the R&D lab in a, in a political sense also of the Arab world. Um, and I can tell you, um, when I met all of you, when I met other Emiratis, I felt an instant connection. I felt like, uh, why haven't we been talking and been friends all along? Uh, family, I think I think that's a rookie. And I really think other Israelis are going to feel that way too, and, and Jews from around the world, um, if you come to the UAE to visit. Um, so we, I think we could easily talk for hours longer uh, with our guests um, and so many more things that we wanted to get into, but we, we don't have time. It's already been just a bit over two hours. So we have to wrap this up. Any last words, Benny? I, I would just, I would just like to add that I, I definitely agree and, 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 and can't wait to come to the UAE as soon as possible. And as soon as the situation allows, um, and, and I would encourage all of us to, to try to take this uh, as an invitation to come and visit. And, and I hope and pray that, uh, and I say this on every episode, that uh, this COVID nonsense gets over as soon as possible because we know that you guys will be on the first plane over once we allow, uh, once Israel allows uh, foreign citizens to come to Israel. Uh, and, again. and this time I get to host you for dinner. And uh, and yeah, so that that's it. Um, we have some thank yous. Obviously, thank you, May, Nora, Thani, Ahmed. Thank you so much for sharing um, from your hearts and from your experiences um, and thank you to uh, Bob Pfefferman, my dad, who got this whole thing rolling from the South Bend uh, St. Joe Valley Federation. Uh, Efrat Srebro from ACO, from the Israeli side of the partnership, Michelle Corin in Indianapolis. Thank you to the entire uh, partnership team at the Jewish Agency, Gil Klempert, who put this all together uh, and did a wonderful job getting the word out. And to Brachat Suriel and the entire team, thank you all of you for listening. And we can't wait to see you next time here on Jewance. Juanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Pfefferman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juanced.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juanced.